Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, we're joined today by State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister. Joy, how are you? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you, Carrie and Alicia. Thanks. Thank you for coming back. Well, we wanted to uh, visit with you. Now we're everyone's winding down the fall semester. We're closing out our first full semester uh, during the pandemic. Um, so we want to just, from a state perspective, we want to talk to you about, you know, what's working and what's not. Um, when you think about how things have gone these past few months, what has surprised you? What has... Um, I don't know. What do you think has gone really well? Oh, okay. So can I start with what surprised me? Sure, <laughs> yes. absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what surprised me was the impact of quarantining. And I don't think I ever contemplated um, what actually would occur with hundreds, like all at once. Yeah. Um, as we were preparing and getting ready with, you know, our return to learn plans and districts were all preparing as well. Um, I think that there was certainly this concept of um, like a whole classroom would be out mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And, you know, then you hear the news like 600 in this district, you know, mm-hmm. 400 over here. I mean, that was a surprise. Um, but but the I think what, what has been um, remarkable is just how strong teachers have been how, um, again, we already knew that there were um, a lot of strategic planning that had to go in to um, pl- in place for just the meals and, you know, knowing sure. what, what we went through in the spring and what that would take to do um, the pro- provision of meals without in-person learning in some situations. Um, I think that what is just incredibly powerful is how teachers particularly um, were, you know, I think it's just the being drained and having um, the uncertainty of what would happen Mm -hmm. one week to the next. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The extra burdens um, and responsibility of, you know, reaching these kids that um, you were chasing schedules and families' schedules and parents, you know, uh, like the ability for kids to connect. Um, My sister's a teacher in elementary school, and and she would just tell me just how worn out so many teachers feel, and, and you can see that anytime you're on social media, just the the, the need for teachers to 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 unite together mm-hmm. and um, be there for one another, the emotional drain, uh, as well as just the physical um, exhaustion that comes from multiple modalities in yeah. delivering instruction all at the same time. Yes, uh, you know, class after class or or um, student by student. Um, you know, it's, it is, we've got teachers who have done virtual, they've done distance, they've done in person, they've done partial in person. They're they've some, done in person and virtual at, at the, the same time. Yes. yes. Yeah. And yeah. That is and, a massive demand. Yeah. 
And, and, I, and really, that's what I'm thinking of. I didn't, yeah. I didn't say it as well as you just did. No, you did. And, and your acknowledgement means everything to those that will be listening to this podcast for sure. So when you think about, um, you know, the, the barriers that, that have been overcome and there are still barriers ahead of us, um, what, what's your focus right now as we wind down and everybody gets a break and then we move into the spring? Yeah. Well, it does feel like this semester we have been um, on a roller coaster. And you know how you are sometimes in a roller co- coaster in the dark? There, there are portions of, of <laughs> I don't, that. <laughs> I don't ride roller coasters. Okay. This is why. Sounds like Space okay. Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Pass. Yeah. I pass. Well, in some ways, um, it feels like we're in that long tunnel and there yeah. is that pinpoint of light ahead where we can see that we're about to get out of that tunnel. And it does feel that way at this moment as the vaccine is on the near horizon. Um, so, I mean, for me, that that is a signal that things are about to get better, like things are going to be different. And just from a community spread um, vantage point, thinking about how that has to make a difference. Yeah, and yeah. we want so badly for um, this kind of relief to be here, particularly all of those on the front line. And I think of teachers yes. when I think about that, um, who have uh, been there, um, really putting themselves at risk. And yet um, doing, again, those kinds of um, things to meet kids where they are, and they're all a little in different places. Sure. Um, and and that that sense of this next semester, I think, will bring still unexpected things, but sure. um, I think things are going to begin to feel a little bit more like what uh, what will feel normal, even though it won't yet be normal. It'll begin to seem like if we can just hang on we are so close to getting to the other side and having some kind of um you know confidence that we're going to make it and uh that we're going to make it through this and and that that i mean we i think we're all just like holding our breath and we're at that point where we need to take that next breath and i feel like it's coming i I think that my fifth grader is looking forward to not being tech support for my kindergartner. Um, But, you know, when you talk about, you know, what's next and sort of the world after, um, I think that education is public schools will come out stronger. I mean, I think that there are so many lessons people are learning right now. Yeah. I think you're right. And what some of those lessons will be, um, well, you know, certainly, I mean, we, we don't know yet. Um, sure. I almost feel like it's it's as if, you know, you're in a storm and maybe during this next semester it, it will be that the storm has passed and mm-hmm. then we're um, assessing where we are. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that that process of restoring mm-hmm. um, both, you know, socially, emotionally, academically, um, physically mm-hmm. is what then begins. Yes. 
for sure. You know, in, in your earlier answers, you talked a lot about the stress and the extra work and, and everybody's going above and beyond. And, mm-hmm. and you're in the same boat with that. I mean, you know, uh, there's been no rest for the weary uh, since, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> since March, really. Um, you know, we talk with our members all the time about self-care and how important yeah. that is to you know, to take a step back and, and give some time to yourself mm-hmm. and, and fill your cup back up uh, mm-hmm. so that you can then give to others. Mm-hmm. Are you taking care of yourself? And oh. <laughs> oh no. Are you setting good parameters this, this, and this boundaries? In, this interview has taken oh. a turn. Oh no. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I think that I think we're in some ways, we do kind of reach that place where we're forced to. Yeah. Um, and it, it felt, it really, there, there are times where it just feels like uh, March, whatever, March 16th or something yeah. um, started and the day never ended. Right. And, you know, <laughs> yes. um, or, or other, I, I saw a meme about uh, 2020 seems like it's been five years yeah. you know, yeah. uh, in, in the making. You know, it, it's just, we're, we're, it's, it is just a, it's surreal. And and we're all going through that. And I, and I think when, I think, yeah, it is so important that we think about, um, uh, replenishing, you know, having some time, some downtime where you can, where you can get that. And, and also just having some grace and understanding for others. Um, I, I think we're all a little bit raw. And, um, if we are, our kids are, Mm -hmm. and our families, um, there's a lot that people are having to deal with, um, where they don't have jobs, um, where they're still looking for work or, you know, provisions are drawing to a close and there's like new levels of anxiety and uncertainty. And so, um, these are the things that I don't think are these aren't diminishing right now they're they're mm-hmm. probably about to resurface if for a temporary time they had been um you know calmed with relief and and we're getting to that place again where in education um you know we are talking about with our federal delegation um how very important it is that education be included in the, in a new relief package um, yes. And and I am optimistic that there will be more relief coming with education. So um, that I can't imagine if there was real questions about that. Mm-hmm. Um, we are clinging to what we believe is going to continue to be a priority with with education. Um, but families don't all have that kind of sense that right. there's relief right. coming, and right. so you know we do have to also think of others that uh, give them a little grace when, when, you know, their response um, really reveals how, how raw everyone feels right now through this. And then the loss is real. We we are losing people and they're suffering and people that are hospitalized and we don't know uh, who uh, is experiencing these kinds of um, emotional tolls uh, with, loved ones in the hospital mm-hmm. or um, uncertainties that come with all of that. 
Yeah, and it sounds like you need to come to our Wind Down Wednesdays. You feel free oh. to join us. Uh, uh, five o'clock, we're, <laughs> it's, it's we're teaching wind, not wine. Um, I, I get it, yeah. And, uh, and, and we're teaching our folks some mindfulness techniques to, mm-hmm. you know, to help uh, think through things and breathe and just mm-hmm. all kinds of techniques to help them release and relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, it's so important. We yeah. can't give out what we don't have. Yeah. Yes. So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, there's uh, been a lot of news about the State Board of Education the past week. Um, the governor uh, announced that he was removing uh, a board member and replacing him with a new appointee who uh, there was some strong advocacy opposing that appointee, including OEA, um, and uh, she withdrew. And so right now, what's the status of the board? Is there just a vacancy in that seat for Northwest Oklahoma? Yes, there is. There is a vacancy and um, that has happened before. Okay. Um, and we we have had uh, a number of board members uh, over the past um, six years that I've been there, and mm-hmm. and I also was a state board of education member That's before right. I was state superintendent. So um, I always try to remember what that feels like sitting in that seat, and um, it's it is a um, quite quite a. Um, sacrifice in some ways of time. Sure. Um, good board members are those members who really do take the time to um, look at materials that sometimes can't be there, you know, um, sooner than, you know, uh, seven days or in some cases even three days. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of work that, that goes into being a board member. Mm-hmm. So what are, you know, there this issue of the the um, appointment has drawn eyes for people even outside of education circles. And so there's, you know, some folks might not understand. Can you kind of talk about what are the qualifications of a, of a board member and what are the qualities that you think make a productive board member? Mm, that's a great question. So um, the State Board of Education has six members plus the chair. And I'm the chair mm-hmm. and that's in state. So actually that's in the Constitution. Um, okay. And and so I'm a voting member and I set the agenda mm-hmm. uh, as state superintendent and, and elected uh, representing the, you know, the voice of the people. Mm-hmm. And the six appointments reflect uh, five U.S. congressional districts mm-hmm. and one at-large position. So the position that is open with a vacancy right now is uh, Congressman Lucas's um, congressional district three. Okay. Um, so anyone who hears this and is from that area, um, then that's the position that's open. And I served um, representing Congressional District 1, which was the more of the Tulsa area. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, you aren't there to only represent the people in that district, but sure. really to bring that perspective. Right. Um, So I I do think that that is very valuable the way it is divided up so that we do have all parts of the state covered. Mm -hmm. And um, then what makes a great board member is someone who is really willing to do the advanced work of 
um, thoroughly reading those board packets that come. And there's a lot of information in there. And um, and really, I will say um, the current board that we have particularly, you know, they were all placed in um, with with one exception, um, brand new at the same time. And um, and just really, you know, like to dig in and, and read mm-hmm. a lot of information. And they're very engaged. I would I would describe um, the board that way. And um, then I think it's also important to be um, mindful of community members and how, you know, you do want to listen and understand what's sure. going on. And when I was sure. a state board member, you know, I, I just picked up the phone. I had never met um, the superintendent in uh, the Tulsa area at the time, and I asked to meet and just get yeah. to know him and understand perspectives and here's yeah. my number and you know, so I think that level of um, accessibility and openness to try to understand mm-hmm. multiple perspectives um, is a, another piece that can serve a board member well. You know, it's some, it's something that we, we hear about all the time uh, during the legislative session, especially, um, you know, what the needs of the panhandle are are completely different than the needs of Oklahoma City or completely different than Idaho. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just... everybody needs, I mean, you you might have a district that is K-8 and just a a couple dozen kids versus Tulsa. You know, it's, there's a lot, there's so many different needs. You really have to be mindful of all those different needs of our public schools. Yeah. And, and it's not a requirement that someone, you know, was a teacher or something along those lines. There there really aren't requirements like that. Um, But really everyone, I would say it's, it is the balance of all of those, you know, the, the various experiences, perspectives that end up making um, a, a board re- really a strong board mm-hmm. when not everyone has the same exact experience. Yes. I always think it's, I mean, that's how I like to make decisions anyway, yeah. um, to hear from a broad variety of viewpoints, experiences, um, and then you you have a better chance of really thinking through the different angles mm-hmm. and um, because, you know, the decisions that are made, you know, they have consequences and right. they're, right. they are going to impact hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. So it, it really matters um, to have engaged members that are able to bring those perspectives as we um, thoughtfully deliberate. Well, we will be watching to see who is proposed next. So. And I will just say, I live in Frank Lucas's uh, district. Alicia's available. <laughs> I'm available. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Okay, Alicia. <laughs> um, oh, my word. I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good luck. Um, so we have talked about some very heavy things. Uh, I'd like to switch gears again and talk about some other very serious things. Uh, very serious. The holidays. Very serious. The holidays. Okay. Um, I have oh. I have strong feelings about the holidays. So what I would like to do, if you guys are both up for it, is to do holiday lightning round um, with each of you. Just a s- series of either or questions. Are you both in? I'm in. Yeah, okay. I'm in. But what do you mean by either or? Well, you you will find out. You pick one. Oh, or, here we go. One or the other. Yeah. So um, I'll ask the question. Superintendent, you go first, and then Alicia, you go. Okay. Does that sound good? Oh. All right. Okay. And no no overthinking. No overthinking. Okay. All right. Turkey or ham? Turkey. Ham. 
Elf or a Christmas story? Uh, elf. <laughs> I know that this is quite unfair. You're right. Uh, easy for me, Elf. I hate a Christmas story. What? Oh my, I know. We'll, we'll discuss this later. <laughs> All right. Do you call it dressing or stuffing? I guess. Hmm. <laughs> Stuffing. Alicia? Uh, stuffing. Um, eggnog or cider? Eggnog. Cider. Uh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes or no? No. No. Oh, my goodness. All right. Do you open presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Both. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the best answer. I don't even like <laughs> Alicia? We actually do both. We do one. What? One. One on Christmas Eve, and then oh my, and then the rest on I, Christmas. Eve. All right. Well, neither of you tell my children <laughs> that. Okay. But but it's always Christmas jammies. Okay. All right. So it's not like a big surprise. Okay. Matching matching family pajamas. Yes or no? Mm, depends on how old. When are you asking me? Like right now. Like right to, now. Like oh, this Christmas. Um, no. Yes. Um, best Christmas gift ever. That's not a yes or no. Best, best Christmas oh. gift you've ever got. Oh. Hmm. Um. Hmm. Will everyone wow. get 75 That's minutes to deliberate? <laughs> oh, do we have a time uh, frame here? <laughs> huh. You know, I'm going to just say it's the kind, it, it's those, it's those presents that your kids made at school. Oh, yes. And yeah. you just, you know, they're in those special boxes that you save and look at years later as they're now adults. And you see those little handprints and yes, little reindeer with the pom-pom nose. Oh. And, you know, it's those. Those are the best. Oh, I'm feeling some things now. Thanks. Uh, yeah. A ditto. D ditto. And, um, yeah, and... and and the time that we spend together. Oh my gosh! Because we yeah. have time off in the holidays. <sighs> we're right. gonna we're gonna have to go so I can hug my children. <laughs> All right, two more. Uh, tree, real or fake? Fake. Fake. <laughs> and best version of the Grinch. Original. Jim yep. Carrey. Jim Carrey. No, no actually, somebody's telling me no. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I. I say the I say the Jim Carrey one. That's what my I favorite. think it's Jim Carrey. It's it's an unpopular mistake. Okay. Except, except for he, there are some words that he uses in there, right? That, that well, are not as as well. It's fine. You know, Christmas are you, they? It's are fine. they too Grinchy? <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. <laughs> well, um, that was an excellent lightning round. Except for the <laughs> part about Christmas presents was not lightning at all. Um, but so before we before we let you go, Superintendent, um, you know. Our educators, families, support staff, people are feeling, I mean, this has been a sprinting marathon to get to the yeah. end of this semester. What message do you have for education employees and what message do you have for families? Mm. Well, there, I can think of just two words and it's thank you. Um, truly, we cannot do what needs to be done for kids. Um, unless we have each each and everyone in our schools who are playing a different role, but all important parts mm -hmm. in meeting the needs of our kids and seeing them grow and 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 that they know they're loved. I, yes. I think that's that's the gift that we know our teachers and our support staff are giving to kids 
and that is priceless. Well, thank you for that closing thought and thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate the partnership that we have with the State Department and and you're the leader of that. So we appreciate all that you do. Thank you so much. And you guys have a good holiday and get some some rest and eggnog. (laughs) Okay. Take care, everyone. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, this morning we are joined uh, by our friends at USDA Rural Development in Oklahoma. We've got uh, Dr. Lee Denny, who's the state director. Good morning, Dr. Denny. Good morning. Thank you for having us today. Yes, and we've also got uh, Ronnie Jones, who is the programs director for USDA Rural Development in Oklahoma. How are you, Ronnie? Doing well. Good morning, and thanks for the opportunity to be on. Yeah, yeah. We, we are excited. So, um, let's start off with uh, Dr. Denny. Can you give us sort of a big picture overview? What does USDA Rural Development do here in Oklahoma? Uh, I certainly can, and thank you so much for uh, letting us have this opportunity to explain this program uh, to our fellow Oklahomans. Yes. Uh, rural Development is a small agency of the USDA that mainly deals with uh, shoring up the infrastructure of rural rural towns and cities around the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically have four arms, uh, four mission areas. We work hard on community facilities, which is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, that's anything that could be a library, a city hall, an event center, police station, fire station, and equipment that might go into some of these facilities, such as um, fire trucks, police cars, school buses, which we'll address later. Uh, community facilities also deals with uh, helping uh, rural communities with their water and the wastewater treatment uh, plants as well. Then we also have single-family housing, which we work hard to get uh, individual single-family house owners into home ownership in rural parts of the state. We have a multifamily housing arm, uh, which is an apartment-style living for people that are low-income and very low-income mm-hmm. so they can have safe sanitary and decent housing. Mm -hmm. And then the last portion is our business and industry loan department where we help with economic development of our rural communities by uh, loaning money for businesses either to expand or start up businesses as well in rural parts of the state. We also deal with uh, the expansion of broadband across the state as well as distance learning and telemedicine. So we have quite a diverse yeah. portfolio to help rural citizens, but we mainly operate within uh, the confines of populations of our rural towns that are, uh, programs vary, but basically 50,000 population and less. Okay. So that's just a real quick thumbnail sketch about rural development. And that's a lot. That, that <laughs> is a lot. That A lot of different things yeah. and, um, and and important things. And, and you did allude to the fact that uh, uh, the community facilities are the thing that we're going to talk about today. So let's talk to program director, Ronnie Jones. Ronnie, will you tell us about the community facility development programs that you have going? Yes, sure will. The community facilities loan and grant program has been around for many, many years, as much as 40 plus years. Oh, wow. In 1997, they, the loan program has always been there. In 1997, they added the grants program to it. 
it was extremely limited dollars in the beginning, you mm-hmm. know, maybe a hundred thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. to spread out across the state, which wasn't much. Sure. Through the years they have really enhanced the funding for this program. I'll kind of give you a broad overview and then I'll drill down into the uses of the program. Okay. The, the limitation for the loan and grant program is 20,000 population. So in order to be eligible for the program, the service area has to be less than 20,000 population. Those entities that are eligible for the program are schools, towns, cities, counties, nonprofit corporation, and Indian tribes. I'll give you an example of how schools can use this and what we typically see schools utilizing the funds for. That's buses and vehicles, mm-hmm. cafeteria equipment, roof replacements, their central heat and air systems, HVAC, windows, uh, today's time, security systems, yeah. uh, playground equipment, STEM equipment, and Chromebooks. And the Chromebook seems to have been the most popular since we have so much virtual learning oh, yeah. with the pandemic. Absolutely. So it, it has been a very popular item. You know, one of those things that um, the when you bring that up about the funding, a lot of our rural communities um, might not have the, the bonding capacity to fund the things they need. You, you know, if you've got a very agricultural area or places without much business, you know, that their ad valorem taxes might not cover what they need. I mean, all those things you described are things all of our schools absolutely need, especially, you know, you mentioned the technology right now is stuff that, I mean, every district needs it right now, whether they, you know, whether they started in person or however they're doing it. I mean, it's just a critical need in today's age. Right. So how do people, how do people access that? Okay, let me tell you a little bit about the, the two programs. I said that the loan and a grant program. The loan program, uh, we can do 100% financing. For real estate, we can go up to 40 years. And for equipment, we can usually go 5 to 15 years. And the interest rate is a fixed rate of 2 and one eighth, which oh, okay. is a very, very, yeah, very low, very good number in today's term. Of course, sure. all interest rates are low. Right. right. When it comes to the grants program, uh, the grant program can provide funding for up to 75% of the project cost. Wow. But the maximum grant is $50,000. And I'll give you a couple examples here in a minute of that. The grant program is designed to assist the smaller, lower income communities. Mm-hmm. So the lower the income and the lower the population, the higher the grant eligibility. Oh, gotcha. So we can't throw a blanket out there and say that all schools in Oklahoma are eligible for 75%. Sure. Right. Because based on the median household income, some may not be eligible at all. So we have to look at the median household income and the population of each school to determine the amount of eligibility. So they, the school must also demonstrate that they do not have the capacity, the financial capacity, to pay for their project on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, give you a couple examples that might help you understand the program a little better. Let's say that a school is 75% grant eligible, and they desire to purchase a new school bus, and it's going to cost $66,667. 
Rural Development would award a $50,000 grant, mm-hmm. which would be 75%, and the school would have to contribute the $16,667. Yeah. So we have a large number of schools throughout the state that are, in fact, eligible for 75%. So we certainly encourage anyone who's interested to, to contact us. I'll give you a second example. The school is 35% grant eligible. They desire to purchase a new school bus and an SUV, and it's going to cost $100,000. The maximum grant that we could give would be $35,000, and the school would have to contribute the $65,000. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it all depends on each individual school. Like I say, we can't throw sure. a blanket on it and say, hey, sure. this is, everything's 75%. Right. But when we think about, especially transportation, um, some of our rural districts, I mean, they, those buses are, they're putting the miles on them. And if, especially if you've got a low bonding capacity, you're churning, you're churning through buses because kids are relying on that. You know, they spend, they spend quite a bit of time getting to school, getting home. And that's the only way that they're able to go is provided and, by the school. And any athletic event that they're going to do oh, yeah, outside sure. of their district is going to be quite a drive as well. Right. Right. Which, which adds even more miles. So that's what we do the most of is uh, predominance is of the applications probably have been through the years have been buses. Mm-hmm. They're expensive yep. and they're, they get wore out and they're yep. on rough rural roads. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so it's probably been the number one priority of schools as far as uh, seeking funding from, from rural development. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a question for you, Dr. Denny. Why, you know, when I think okay. about when I think about our rural districts and how critical they are to our communities, why is it important for USDA to support to support schools in this way? Uh, well, Congress, of course, gives us our allocations, and uh, we think the rural parts of the of the uh, United States, and especially here in Oklahoma, when they prosper, then the whole country prospers. We yes. can't always rely on uh, the cities for everything. In fact, the food you put in your mouth, uh, the food you buy at the grocery store, it only appears there because of what farmers and ranchers are doing across the country. Yep. And rural kids are just as smart as urban kids. Yes. And they need all the advantages mm-hmm. that uh, urban kids have. Um, yep. And so that's what that's what we're doing. Not only are we giving traditional brick-and-mortar schools uh things like buses and Chromebooks and things that they need. Mm-hmm. But then we're also providing the broadband to hook these kids up to uh, urban centers that may be yes. able to take classes remotely yep. um, to give them the subjects they need. For instance, you may have one child in a town of under 5,000 that wants to study Mandarin Chinese. Well, of course, that school district right. can't afford a Mandarin Chinese teacher for one student, but they possibly can afford and if the infrastructure is there to be hooked into a more urban center and take that class online. Man, as someone who grew up in a rural community in Arkansas, when I moved to Oklahoma City, I was like, you have what classes? Are you kidding me? Right. (laughs) Wow. It was, there was, I just, I I had no idea, you know, but that was before really broadband during, and our kids deserve those opportunities. So, so Dr. Denny, because, I'm sorry, go they ahead. Do. They absolutely deserve all they absolutely deserve all the opportunities. Every kid in the state, no matter where they live, 
I deserve the same equal opportunities and equal access to education. Yes, absolutely. So if um, if if somebody wanted to uh, look into these programs, how would they contact you? Okay, this, uh, this Ronnie, you go ahead. Yeah, you go okay. ahead, Ronnie. Uh, let me tell you just a tad about the amount of availability of funding we have, and then I'll tell you how to, to get a hold of us. In Oklahoma, we receive about $650,000 a year in this program. Doesn't seem like it would go a long way. That's a lot of partial buses. That's a lot. Right. But in Oklahoma, I have a a team of 16 employees who work feverishly to bring any and all dollars from the national level that Mm -hmm. they can to Oklahoma. Yeah. And for the last several years, Oklahoma has led the nation in the amount of grant dollars that we have uh, received from the National Office Reserves and wow. brought to Oklahoma. That's amazing. That's great. We like to take our fair share plus some. Yeah. And so, again, last year, we received in excess of $2.1 million from the National Office Reserves for this program. Wow. So we really like the program. I like to assist uh, the rural schools. Mm-hmm. For any information about the program, they can. the, the website is www dot r d dot u s d a dot gov. Okay, easy enough. And for easy access to find our office locations, mm-hmm. if they go to www.offices.usda.gov and click on the click Oklahoma on the map. Click on their county. And it will give you the rural development office's contact information. Perfect. And then a rural development employee will email an application out. The applications are not extremely complex. They're not intended to be. It's a yeah. rather simplified application. Yeah. Simple program. And the application can be mailed back to our office. Perfect. Well, we appreciate what you guys do to support our, our rural schools and to make sure that everybody has a fair shot we um we appreciate your time today absolutely thanks for one more thing sure yes one more thing go ahead absolutely yes okay uh for for school districts uh we have uh for several years had what we call distance learning grants and these are grants that schools have applied for and been successful um to um extend their distance learning opportunities for their kids Mm -hmm. now this past year we had an overwhelming number that applied as you can imagine because of the pandemic sure Sure. but uh in years past oklahoma has been very successful in obtaining these distance learning grants so i just want to encourage your school districts to not be shy Uh, none of these are open at this time because of course we're in a transition as far as the federal government goes but in the spring along about march uh, these become available, and I just want to encourage our school districts to apply for these to uh, increase the opportunities for rural kids, even after yep. the pandemic, uh, to get the classes that they need uh, uh, online, virtually, into these smaller school districts. So I sure wanted to plug that. I know that Congress will fund this program again, and um, just look for these opportunities to expand uh, your school district's reach. Absolutely. Great. I'm glad that you plugged that one as well. That's great opportunity. 
Thank you both so much. Well, thank you so much for having us on today. This has been a great opportunity. Ronnie? Yes, thank you very much. We certainly appreciate it. Look forward to receiving some applications. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. Do, 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 do. All right, number one, we have a membership survey that is out right now. It closes on Sunday at 11.59 p.m., mm -hmm. so uh, make sure you take it. There are five different sections of it uh, covering pandemic things, what's going on in your school, in your classroom, uh, all kinds of stuff. So it is very important, and um, we're going to be using that to push some of our goal setting and things that we want to accomplish over the next little, little, uh, little ways. So hopefully little ways, hopefully little ways, <laughs> hopefully, uh, we have a light at the end of the tunnel and yes. we will, um, get vaccinated and be able to see other humans in real life. Yes. Yes. I, you know, I came up with a strategy to be able to go to uh, my in-laws for Christmas. Yeah. Not for a long stay uh -huh. or anything like that, but um, they mm -hmm. have an entryway that's enclosed mm -hmm. and then the door to their house oh, and their, yeah. their entryway and living room. Mm -hmm. And so I said to John's mom, I said, okay, what if we get command hooks and I put them up there and then we just hang a, a uh, clear uh, shower curtain uh -huh. and you stay inside we'll stay in the inside vestibule uh -huh. area uh -huh. and and that way at least we can see each other and talk for a little while you know i like that plan a lot better than your first plan which is just to look through their windows like a weirdo <laughs> yeah i think that's a much better plan hello <laughs> <I miss you. laughs> it's a little uh dick uh dick and dickens-esque <laughs> yes Charles dickens. hello hello sir <laughs> So uh, that was a long story to talk about the membership survey Please and how important it. it is to take it. Uh, take it by um, this Sunday. That would be, what is today, the 11th, 13th uh -huh. at 11.59 p.m. Yep, check in your email. All right. Uh, then we also have another survey that's out that is something that we send out every year, mm -hmm. usually a little bit earlier than now, but... Um, but COVID. We, but COVID, and we wanted to do something a little bit different. So Catherine uh, Bishop, who's our vice president and the chair of the budget committee, um, got together with our comms folks, and they have kind of redone the survey so that you see a little vignette uh, video before you talk about different sections of the budget, mm -hmm. so that you get a clearer picture as a member. Uh, what we're talking about when we're talking about different different aspects of the budget. So mm -hmm. uh, super excited about that. That budget survey closes on Friday the 18th. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it really is important because we're a member-driven organization. So your input into these surveys help money. drive the work that we do. Yeah, it's your money. Where do you want it to go? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and And lastly, but not least... Uh, I want to give a more formal welcome in my announcements to our interim executive director, Carolyn Crowder. Super excited to have her back. She was uh, president of the OEA in 1997 through 2003. Do you, so tell us, do you remember when she was president? Can you share a story, she a, is, public, a public story? She's actually the first president that I remember. I started oh, teaching cool. in, in, in 94. Uh-huh. 
and um, and she was president when I was a local leader, mm-hmm. and um, and had to speak before the board for the first time, and uh, yeah. um, it was it was one thing to be speaking before the board for the first time, and then the president of the OEA comes in, dun, dun, and dun. Um, and is there to support you, and yeah. uh, I mean that's that's really the model that that I remember first. And so that's why, even though I don't have that big of a, you know, high concept of myself in that (laughs) same role, that being a big deal when I come and support folks, because it's, it's what you do. Right. Right. We're all educators. We're all here to support one another. And if, and if um, I, as the president of the association can come and help support you in any way, that's that's what we're here for. Well, she set a great example. She she did. Uh, Good, fantastic. She then went on to be on the NEA executive committee. So I did not realize. I mean, I've heard that a lot, but I did not realize it's only five people in the country. There are only five people in the country. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And we had people back to back from Oklahoma win. Um, so we had Carolyn Crowder, and then we had Greg Johnson, and they actually both happened to be from Mustang. They both taught in the same district. Mustang represent. Yeah, they did. So, um, and then she went on to be executive director of Denver Classroom Teachers and then the Tennessee Education uh, Association. So, and then we retired, it, retired and came of, home and yeah. that retirement lasted about 2.7 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad that she's here helping us fill the gap and sorry for interrupting your retirement. <laughs> um Well, we want to say thank you so much to uh, Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister and to uh, USDA Rural Development uh, State Director Lee Denny and Programs Director Ronnie Johns for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernell-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, President of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.